Hello and welcome to the Life Teacher Podcast. My name is Hector Suko and with me here today, again, is Andrew Cassidy. Andrew comes to the Life Teacher Podcast with 15 years of marketing and communications experience. Andrew is currently the Senior Director of Digital Strategy and Engagement for the Massachusetts Bay Transportation Authority, which transports more than 1.3 million riders each day, where he plans, directs, and administers the MBTA's digital presence. Prior to his position at the T, Andrew was Director of Outreach for Emerson College, internationally recognized as the nation's premier institution of higher learning devoted to communication and the arts, and the Director of Social Media at Miami-Dade College in Florida, the nation's largest and most diverse institution of higher education. Andrew is the president and founder of Cassidy Consulting, a Boston-based marketing PR and communication consulting company. Using experience garnered from across his distinct career, Andrew has helped catapult brands and engage whole new elements of their communities. Please help me welcome again to the podcast, Andrew. Andrew, how are you? Doing great. Thank you so much for having me again. Yes, this is a first for me, having a guest for the second time on. And there's a distinct reason for that. Uh, In the last six months since you've been on my podcast, a lot, I mean, a lot has changed in the social media world, in the online world, so much so that in the next few years, life will change. And I I think to, to a certain degree. And that's why I wanted you here. I wanted you to to be a voice for people that may not know what's going on and that will have to go into this vast new world and balance that between what can people experience in this new world and how to get back to real life. So let's go ahead and get into it. Um, Andrew, you've seen the movie Ready Player One, correct? Correct. All right. If there was ever a film that depicts the future so accurately, I would say it's Ready Player One. A lot of things that have been happening over the last six months have been geared towards a world in which Ready Player One becomes a reality to us, not just in the aspects, but in actual reality. And if you have not seen Ready Player One, and you've been turned off by it like I was because it looked like a video game movie. It's far more than that. Um, it is worth your time to watch it. It is Steven Spielberg. It's a Steven Spielberg movie. So you got that going for you. He, he's an amazing uh, filmmaker. And and if you like Jurassic Park and Jaws, you're definitely going to like Ready Player One. And so I'm. we're going to go ahead and assume that every listener has seen the movie or is going to see the movie because it's that impactful. And so we'll start with the metaverse, which happens to be Ready Player One's Oasis. So Andrew, am I going too much out of it or is Ready Player One really what the near or even distant future will look like? Well, let's hope that it's not entirely like Ready Player One, I think it was a little bit dystopian and there were some evil corporations as per usual with what have you's with uh, any sort of cyberpunk themed uh, novels and movies. But the technology behind it, I, it, it's, it's really not that far off. Uh, we've had VR headsets for quite some time now. Um, you know, the, the other big thing with it is that it's a lot more publicly accessible. You know, when VR headsets drops, they were $1,000 a piece. Uh, you needed a high-end computer to run them. Uh, they were very limited in their scope of, of an audience. Nowadays, ever since uh, Facebook, now Meta, purchased Oculus, rather than trying to push the boundary as far as making the absolute best, greatest, super high-end headset that would probably cost five grand, they've instead focused on trying to create accessible VR for the masses. Uh, They've done this with their Oculus Quest systems, which are self-contained. And we're talking about, you know, a couple hundred, a few hundred dollars for a complete system. Uh, And and you're able to not only just play video games, uh, not just, you know, fly around in in Google Earth, uh, but there's the opportunity to 
to jump into a social space, uh, which I find probably to be most fascinating, uh, which again, it definitely harkens back to uh, Ready Player One, where you can interact with other human beings uh, in this kind of digital space. And, and, and I think it's added a, a new level. So, you know, again, VR isn't new. It's been around for some, some time now. Um, but it's, again, that's taking off. And then the other thing is you have uh, something like like Second Life and all these other games where or, or programs where people were quite literally living a, a secondary life um, in an alternative reality uh, held within some sort of video game-esque world. Uh, and, and that was going on, you know, early 2000s, maybe even late 90s. Uh, and, and it was, a, you know, again, it's a it's a kind of fascinating thing to see these kind of two worlds that never really quite got off the ground, uh, definitely had their their diehard fans and allegiances and people who are willing to pour money into it, but definitely didn't reach the masses. Um, but now, especially with, uh, again, Facebook, now Meta, looking to create the metaverse. And I think that's a big distinction there, the metaverse. Uh, I think there's a little bit more likelihood that this won't be something fleeting. It won't just be for um, an elite group of people. It'll be something that if people are interested, everyone can access. And I think that's what makes it so fascinating to me. So when comparing Ready Player One to the real world, you said evil corporation. And there have been a lot of people that have said that Mark Zuckerberg himself would be the villain in this real world. How would you take that kind of harsh criticism of someone that wants to bring virtual reality and all of its potential um, and make it a reality? It's one of those things where, I mean, it's been a, a constant balance since the advent of social media. And I know we talked about this last time. Uh, but there's always that balance of what can I exchange my privacy for? Um, what am I willing to let any corporation, whether it be Google, Amazon, Facebook, what have you, Meta, uh, still getting used to that. But, you know, what am I willing to give to, for what I get? Uh, you know, there was a bunch of people saying, hey, there's this mass exodus. We're leaving Facebook. Facebook numbers are still second to none. Um, you know, and, and then when you add up. Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, their entire app family. Um, again, th- th- there's no, there's no real close second. Even with TikTok going crazy and everything else, Twitter and all that, um, Facebook still owns a, a, a lion's share of that social space. Uh, which leads me to believe that while people aren't crazy about it, um, there is a, a certain willingness for people to uh, to make that trade. Uh, and then the other reality is, you know, wh- whereas Facebook definitely gets the the limelight when it comes to being the the evil villain, uh, there's a lot more companies behind the scenes. I, I mean, again, Amazon jumps to, to my mind, uh, not because, you know, again, they know your shopping habits uh, or they know what you're watching on, on Amazon Prime. Uh, but the other reality is a lot of the Internet as a whole is run through their servers. Uh, so they have a, a very large understanding of of the of the the population as a whole, and I don't think people quite appreciate that. I think it's very easy to say Facebook has a lot of information. I go on Facebook, it, it follows me, uh, but there's a lot of behind the scenes work happening with Amazon and a bunch of others as well. Um, so yeah, there 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 can be the perspective that they're evil. Uh, absolutely. But they're also, again, the people that are enabling this technology. Again, going back to our previous conversation for all the terrible things on social media, there are also those great things that happen on social media as well. It's a force multiplier for human nature, whether that be good or bad. I want you to respond to something. And I, I want to preface this by, I didn't think I would ever bring up Joe Rogan and his podcast <laughs> up in my podcast as much as I have Uh, It seems that for everything that I talk about with my guests, he pops up again and again. It's pretty much because he's talking about everything. And in one of his episodes, he was talking with Ben Shapiro about this exact same thing we're talking about. And because Joe Rogan has this much influence, I have to quote him here and I want to get your reaction. He says, quote, you're going to give your life to some sort of augmented or virtual reality world that is created by a guy who's involved with these with this company whose algorithm algorithms are sowing the seeds of distrust and hate. 
Andrew, your response to that quote? Again, it goes back to human nature for me. Will, will it potentially fuel that? Absolutely. Will it potentially unify the masses? Potentially as well. Um, again, I, I, I have interacted with entirely new communities, made new friends, uh, learned so many things. Uh, by interacting on social media, reconnected with family and friends whom I haven't seen or talked to, ha had great debates and dialogues online. And again, there's also the potential for people using it as an instrument of hate and of destruction. And it, it's just, it's one of those things where it's kind of, you know, it's a tool um, and it can be used for amazing good uh, or it can be used for amazing evil. And it's Unfortunately, you know, the technology itself is re relatively neutral, um, even with all the companies behind them. But there's just a lot of potential for uh, people to, to, to utilize them for their own personal gains. And yeah, it's, it, it's, it's an unknown space. Uh, for me, I think back and, you know, as you were saying, the past six months since we talked, so much has changed. And I don't remember anything changing as quickly as it, as it has right now, uh, the, the closest I can remember is probably just early days of social media paired with um, the, the creation of smartphones, where again, you were on social media all the time, documenting your own life, interacting with people on the go. Uh, it was a bit euphoric, I would say, in the very beginning. Uh, and, and we'll see what happens. It might be one of those kind of bell curves where it starts off nice and then it gets, you know, bad, and then it gets good again or inverted, bad, good, bad. Uh, but, you know, only time will tell. And again, the, the people are going to be the, the, the deciders in, in its future. Let's move a little bit to NFTs. Now, mm -hmm. people have probably heard these three letters together and they're just completely lost. So let's go ahead give the audience some context. An NFT stands for non-fungible token. Now, again, when I first heard that, I was like, okay, so what is a non-fungible token? And it took me a while to fully conceptualize what that was until, and I'm doing this throughout the episode, I compare it to Ready Player One. The main character in Ready Player One spouts a DeLorean, the car that takes you to the past and the future, that essentially is what an NFT is. It's something that doesn't exist and it's only in a computer and it, its image can be seen by anybody with a computer or a smartphone. And so am I getting this right? If I enter the, the metaverse and I spout a DeLorean or I spout, let's say Thor's hammer in the metaverse, is that an NFT? No. Um, oh, okay. So so an NFT, as you said, non-fungible token is something that is non-fungible, meaning that you can't physically touch it. It's, um, but you can uh, still retain 100% ownership of it. And this is where um, it gets really interesting. So the analogy you always hear is something along the lines of, um, you know, the Mona Lisa. There's only one Mona Lisa. So people can take photos of it. You can get it, you know, go to the gift shop at the Louvre and have a, a tote bag with its image printed on it. Uh, you can have the greatest forgery ever created, but there's only one actual Mona Lisa and that's what retains value. So NFTs in a very complicated way are a way of adding a, a definitive permanence uh, to what we see every day online. So we've seen a lot of this with, uh, with artwork in a very similar way. So as, you know, when everyone thinks NFT right now, they think artwork. It is not limited to that space. That's exactly where things are, are kind of running wild. Um, you know, Board Ape, Yacht Club, uh, Robo Pets, all that sort of stuff. And th those are digital creations. There is only one. Obviously, you can right-click on it, save as, you have it as a JPEG. But to actually own the original, to own that Mona Lisa equivalent, you'd have to be the purchaser slash owner of, of that NFT. So that's, the, that, that's kind of how that works. Okay, so let's break it down. Let's say, theoretically, that Marvel is getting into the metaverse 100%. Mm -hmm. And so what you're saying is, if they sell only one Thor's hammer as an NFT, 
then mm-hmm. that in and of itself is an NFT. Yes, if there's only one associated with it, because because the big thing with NFTs is that they do not need to exist solely in the metaverse. You can have them in your your crypto wallets, something like a MetaMask or a Coinbase wallet, whatever it is that you personally use. You can hold it there. You can sell it from there a lot of the times or sell it on a marketplace like OpenSea, uh, Facebook, Instagram. They're talking about expanding their marketplace to include uh, the the selling slash minting of, of NFTs. Uh, but you do not need to be in a, you know, a quote metaverse in order to buy own uh, because that's the vast majority of it right now is just uh, uh, floating around in, 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 in cyberspace. And so what if Marvel decides, you know what, we're just going to sell Thor's hammer for a hundred dollars each for anybody that wants to use it in the metaverse. I mean, it's probably going to exist in that fashion and then marvel can say well there's only one true nft hammer i mean how do you how do you balance such such an idea of yes we want everybody to enjoy marvel we want everybody to enjoy and have the possibility of let's say buying thor's hammer and using it in the metaverse as you play these video games or even watch endgame right i i also imagine people watching movies in this way where they're entering the metaverse and they're watching an entire movie but instead of just that one rectangle screen you're literally going to be able to look around and see everything that's happening um but let's get back to that question what if marvel decides to sell thor's hammer a hundred dollars each to every single person then it's no longer considered an nft is that what you're so, saying? Exactly. So for it to really be an NFT, it has to be unique. That, that's that, that's the kind of big defining characteristic of it. Um, you can sell items. You can just sell, you know, microtransaction in-game item equivalents, uh, which obviously already exist. Uh, and, and even the, the, the idea of, you know, within the metaverse being able to kind of live inside of a movie, uh, there have already been productions and some of them are really, really cool uh, where you can kind of get a first person perspective in a movie you might even be playing a role so to speak in the movie uh make decisions within that movie that then impact the you know the ending or or, or how the plot unfolds so that's all there uh but as far as the the value as to whether or not people are willing to pay a hundred dollars you know it, it goes back to the the concept of art which is why is the mona lisa valuable it's not painted of, of, of uh, you know, fine gold or anything else. It's, it's something that people choose to impart a, a worth to. Uh, and they're choosing to say, that's how much I would pay for it. You know, like anything in life, everything is worth only what someone's willing to pay for it. Uh, and that's the case with, with NFTs. The interesting thing is that, you know, up until, let's say, like a year or two ago, NFTs just didn't really exist, especially not in the quantity that they exist now. Um, so the idea that so many people are willing to spend, you know, any dollars, any, uh, cryptocurrencies on these, uh, on these items is almost unfathomable because it's saying like, why would anyone put value on that? Uh, but enough people have, have placed value on these and it doesn't mean that it will last forever, but at the current standard, uh, people have placed enough value in NFTs, uh, that they are acquiring value. That being said, not all NFTs are created equal. Uh, I was uh, just, you know, on my computer earlier today. I was looking at, uh, you know, Reddit had created their own NFTs, and they ended up selling them. I think they only created like four, and they sold for uh, hundred plus Ethereum, which at the going rate is roughly three thousand dollars. So uh, per Ethereum, so that that's a pretty hefty price tag we're talking about. Um, that someone's willing to pay for that. Um, board ape again, same sort of thing where, you know, there, there's, uh, there, there's a high, high market again, hundreds of, uh, uh, of Ethereum, um, coins that are willing to be spent on this, uh, and the way some of these NFTs are garnering additional support is it's not just the design aspect. It's not just, Hey, I like that image. Uh, but a lot of them create a community around that NFT. So again, the reason they call it the Board 8 Yacht Club is that it is kind of like a yacht club where it's an exclusive membership. Uh, You have to spend money in order to get in, obviously. But once you're in, there's like a community, there's perks, blah, blah, blah. Uh, So there is an interest in in that area as well. So it's a, again, it's a very 
undefined world, which I guess makes a lot of sense. Because uh, even going back to the idea of what the metaverse is, there isn't one. Uh, uh, the, Facebook is trying to be the metaverse, uh, but it's really a very loose, loose thing, which is all about what Web3 is. Um, and it's just this whole notion of being decentralized where uh, it's great, but it's also terrible and it's also scary, but it's also exciting. So there's a, there's, again, it's a whole new world and it comes with all the, the prospects that comes with. And like what you just said, there's there's not one, right? And, it, and that is one of the major distinctions between what's happening right now and Ready Player One. Ready Player One, you only have the Oasis. If you wanted to go in, you would have to go into the Oasis. But here there are metaverse companies like Sandbox and Decentraland, Epic Games, Facebook Meta. And so how would somebody on the outside looking at these companies, you know, come up? How how should I, let's say, as a common man, view Sandbox or Decentraland? I mean, even Facebook Meta is not out yet. It's supposedly going to take, what, three or four years to develop and release? But Sandbox is up and running now. I believe the central land is up and running. How, how, what do I, what should the common man make of these, these companies? I mean, again, it goes back to, I mean, it's like Second Life. So you go, you know, again, Second Life had been around for quite some time. Uh, there were diehards in it. There are people spending real world money in it. They're creating, they're, they're fostering relationships online again, just as if it was, you know, uh, an in person relationship that would go on and on and on. Um, but it didn't, it, as big as it was, it didn't grasp the, the, the populace as a whole. And in order for any company, and I can't predict which one it's going to be, though I have some leanings, uh, it's going to have to be something that is accessible to a large number of people um, and, and provide something unique enough that people are interested to, to jump into that space. And again, going back to what we we're talking about the VR headsets with uh, with Meta, the fact that they're able to, you know, as of right now, their headsets are three hundred dollars. I'm hoping over time they're probably going to lower that down and lower it down and lower it down as as they ramp up. That could be what makes them step ahead in this space because right now you and I can create our own, you know, quote metaverse. We can sell real estate, uh, but it doesn't mean it's worth anything. You know, uh, it, there's you know, even when there's celebrity interest in that particular platform, it doesn't mean that it's going to take off. Think about all the the ads that celebrities have endorsed in the past for products that no longer exist. Um, I don't think you're going to see 30 different metaverse, um, you know, environments. I mean, I'm sure you'll see hundreds, truthfully, um, out there. But as far as like the actual big ones, uh, it's kind of like social media. You know, you're either on Facebook Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, but you're only on like one of the top five, maybe top 10. Whereas, you know, there are, again, hundreds of, of, of social media platforms just the same. So I think there's going to be some real holdout leaders. And I think that Facebook slash Meta owns enough of the real estate that if they can fix their trust issue, they have the technical ability and the hardware ability to, to actually succeed in that space. And let's talk about digital real estate. Did you see that somebody paid $450,000 to be Snoop Dogg's neighbor in one of these metaverses? Yes, yes. Which it's, one uh, was it? Oof, uh, I don't recall off the top of my head. Maybe it was Sandbox. Um but it, it, again, it goes back to that idea that what's worth it. Oh my God, I live next to, to Snoop Dogg um, in, in this metaverse. Okay, well, that could be great. Maybe Snoop Dogg is logged in every single day and you're logged in every day and somehow you guys become friends on there. Uh, and then maybe you become friends in the real world and that entire experience is worth $450,000 to you. Great. Um, it could also be that Snoop bought a house there um and he never logs in now is it still worth the same amount and again if he's not actually logging in but he technically owns real estate um is that going to be enough to uh, of a draw uh I, again i think there's a lot of just physical or i'm sorry digital places that are interesting 
but the one that's going to prevail slash few that will prevail are going to have to offer something a little bit different. And, you know, like when I think about what yeah, Facebook slash Meta has done, they've already jumped into this space. This is not technically new for them. Uh, they had launched, uh, again, on the Oculus platform, they launched a uh, Facebook, I think it was Facebook Spaces might have been the name of it. It was a very early thing where you can meet up with other people, look at your timeline, jump into videos. Uh, it was great because it paired well with their, their at the time push for 360 videos. You can meet up with people, draw stuff, um, you know, somewhat limited, but great. Uh, then they released another platform or another, it's uh, hard to describe, I guess, application at the end of the day um, called Facebook Horizons, which a lot of people were, were, were hesitant of. But I think Horizons realistically is, is the framework for, for the metaverse. Um, but that was, again, it was a, a virtual world where you could jump into and socialize with people. Again, there were a lot more activities. If you've ever been, again, in a, in a VR headset and played a game like Rec Room, similar to that, where there's a bunch of micro games, but there's also physical places to walk around. Uh, you have the ability to, again, watch content together, interact, talk to one another. Uh, so I think Facebook has already been dabbling in this space. Uh, Horizons was alpha. It, it went to beta, and now it's, I think they renamed it again. So um and I think it's also publicly available. So they're definitely, I think, ahead of the curve. That doesn't mean anything. Um, and then there's the other big thing, which is the metaverse does not necessarily inherently need to be virtual, um, or at least not in a three-dimensional headset sort of way. So a metaverse could theoretically be almost, again, like a video game you would play on your home computer um, where you'd walk around, have your same life, again, very reminiscent of what Second Life was, um, and you'd have a physical space, other people to interact with, and that would make it even more accessible. And that alone might be enough to, to push someone to the winner's circle uh, when it comes to, to the notion of the metaverse. And so this guy that, or woman, we don't know who this person is, that bought that real estate, that $450,000 to be Snoop Dogg's neighbor, can they rent that property out to people um i honestly don't know uh maybe there's a new future space for um you know short-term rentals on uh, uh like yeah. within a metaverse yeah space. like airbnb for airbnb sandbox. verbo something like that yeah absolutely i mean it absolutely could be uh far free far be it from myself to say that that won't happen uh because when it comes to this stuff anything is possible but yeah, and then to that end, I don't know what that would mean. Um, and I'm sure that'll create all sorts of uh, other interesting issues as well. Now, can anybody just go up to Sandbox and say, and let's just assume it's Sandbox. I mean, we can go yep. check it later, but let's say, can somebody, can anybody just say, hey, Sandbox, I want to buy a square. I want to buy a house in Sandbox. Or, or do you really have to bring the money to purchase um, uh, land in, in these places? Um, I think, I mean, again, I, each one's different and I'm not familiar with each of them on an individual space. Um, usually it's, hey, you can buy whatever you want. But again, it might be like real real estate um, where that, you know, if it's a quote, nicer neighborhood, uh, you might be able to charge a, a premium. And maybe it is that they, you know, again, uh, early stages, they get investors slash sign-ons from celebrities. They create a, a digital ve uh, Beverly Hills, so to speak, and anything in that close proximity, um, therefore, is you know more expensive. Or maybe there's a center again, much like you'd live close to a downtown environment where there's more social meetup areas, and you don't have to take doesn't take as long to load in or something similar to you know as would be for for travel or transportation. So. There's a lot of different ways to slice it. Uh, I remember in Second Life, um, I went to uh, uh, Emerson College in Boston uh, for my undergrad. And in one of my classes, one of the professors had actually recreated the college in, uh, in Second Life. And the, you know, we were studying you know, communication as a whole. So we're understanding uh, the concept of the avatar and what it means for, you know, to create representations of yourself 
Uh, and it was, it was fascinating. It really was. And, you know, we'd all meet up uh, on the Boston common uh, within the, uh, within the this video game technically uh, and you could see you know look around and see what had been mapped out i think it was probably just scans from from um, google maps or something similar um did it add a whole lot no but it didn't take away and it offered something unique so again it has to provide value um you know there were presentations within this digital world which again at the time i think this was like 2009 so it was pretty fascinating um but yeah, it's it, 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 like anything else, you have to provide value to your users in order for them to uh, to want to partake. And again, if there is a privacy concern for them to be willing to, to, to volunteer some information, whatever that is. Let's talk about time that it that we know that time is scarce, but we also like to spend time do, doing things that are fun. And so let's compare really quickly social media as we know it today and this possibility of this of the metaverse and so i'll start with my phone right if i'm at work i can let's say during the switching of classes because i am a teacher i check facebook really fast see that i have one notification i see the notification and then i put away my phone right you're, you're talking 30 seconds at best to just quickly check your phone go on social media see what's up and then put the phone away and when you're talking about a video game, I mean, I, I'm not a gamer, but anybody that wants to really play a video game has to be ready to put aside 30 minutes to what, four hours of their time to the side to play this video game and to go in depth and, and to do whatever it is that they want to do. A movie, same thing. You need to block out two to three hours of your life, uh, of your day to spend time to watch this movie. Do you see people blocking out hours of their life to go into the metaverse and and discover it and explore it? Uh, yeah, I do. I mean, again, try, try going back to the 90s and telling people that they're going to you know, spend as much time on Netflix as, as they are now, um, that they're going to spend this much time on the Internet, even just as a whole. Um, you know, we're pretty much always connected and what we're connected to has, has shifted over the years, but I think there's definitely a place for it. Um, you know, from my understanding, and again, this is still basically just non-existent at this point, but, you know, if this really is almost a, you know, a full entertainment replacer where you would go into this to, you know, consume media, like a movie, like a TV show to hang out with your friends uh, you would again think about being in a pandemic and how you you know can't necessarily see everyone all that you want to see. Um, this might offer a pretty cool alternative. Uh, the ability that you know again, how many times have you sat around with a group of friends and said, "Hey, what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do?" Well, maybe the game or you know metaverse can provide you with a, a bunch of options, which I'm sure won't be a static amount of content. Um, I'm sure there is going to be you know constant improvements and changes uh, that make it more and more. Uh, you know, valuable that give you that dopamine fix uh, to, to really keep you coming back for more. And as far as the time thing, I don't necessarily see the metaverse taking the role of that, you know, quick couple of minute check of your phone. Uh, but at the same time, you know, there's a lot of interest in, you know, by Apple, by Facebook to create smart glasses. Um, so it's not impossible for me to think that down the road, you'd be able to, you know, have a pair of glasses that you keep in your backpack throw them on, jump in for a little while, you have a 30 minute break, then, you know, pop out when it's time to do whatever it is you have to do. Uh, so I could, I could see people maybe doing something short on their, on their lunch break if they so chose, uh, if they so chose. It, would that be healthy? Like, like to, if you're at work and your boss allows you 30 minutes and, and you're reaching for your glasses to spend 20, 25 minutes, uh, you know, it, would that even be smart, a smart thing to do? I mean, th that's all up to debate. I mean, I think even the fact that you were saying like you're, you're checking your phone for notifications, it's uh, there is that dopamine fix that comes from, you know, seeing that you do have a notification, checking out who it is and all of that. So I don't really, you know, it, yes, it's a little different because it's, it's a whole new, you know, digital world, what have you, but at the same time, when you boil it down, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, even the, the, you know, to a much lesser extent, the idea of checking your mailbox, 
like your actual physical at your home mailbox and opening it up and seeing what's in there and slowly going through it, just like you do your notifications, realizing most of it's junk. Uh, but if you do get something in there and it's good, that's fascinating. And you're like, wow, oh my God, so-and-so sent me a letter or, oh, I just got this certificate or, you know, something, something, it finally came in the mail, my package got here. Uh, so I, I think that we've, we've changed it, but there is this kind of associated interest of like, hey, what did I miss? You know, the, the, the FOMO concept. Oh, the FOMO. Exactly. And, and again, whether it's male, whether it's choosing not to go out one night with your friends and realizing that they had a great time uh, to, oh my God, I didn't log into, I mean, I can see the future being, oh my God, I didn't log into the metaverse tonight. I missed this amazing event. I have to make sure. And, you know, kids screaming at their parents like, mom, why didn't you let me get in the metaverse? I missed out on, you know, this, this current performer doing a, a, a metaverse live show or whatever that is. But I think there's a lot of, uh, I don't think it's going away. I think we're heading in that direction. Um, and yeah, I think it's one of those things where you kind of got to buckle up and, and do your best to stay informed, make decisions which are right for you. It doesn't mean you have to do anything just like social media. You don't need to be on it. Uh, but I think it's going to become a bigger part of the, of the, the zeitgeist of humanity. Um, and I, I think it'll be something to behold once we get there. Now you're an expert in social media. And I guess this question is more for, let's say, a doctor. But I mean, honestly, like, let's say like there's a family of four and there are two adults and let's say two teenage kids. And instead of eating dinner at the table, making genuine connections with your family and, and talking about how was your day, I can see the four of them in this metaverse doing their own thing. So is there something to be said about being mindful of this new future that we're walking into? I, I think it's going to depend on every family. I don't think that it will or definitely should not replace a family dinner or a family outing. But, you know, at the same time, I think about the way in which people have to interact with their children and how they have to find a way to connect with their child. For some, that's going outside, throwing a ball around. Uh, other people, it's going on walks and nature hikes. Some people, even at present, they play, you know, two-player co-op, multiplayer games with their kids uh, as a means of bonding with their kids. So I can see this absolutely being that. Um, again, I don't see it completely saying, like, that's it. We're never going to Disney World. We're never, uh, you know, we're not going to go visit grandma ever again. Uh, but I can see this replacing some of those other issues or some of those other spaces that already exist. Again, that shared, let's watch a show together. Let's, let's play a video game together. Uh, I think the, the, those are the things that'll get swapped out for, for the metaverse more so than the, the in-person day-to-day. Interesting. And let's go back to Ready Player One when it comes to these technical issues. Now in Ready Player One, Steven Spielberg creates what is called in the movie an omnidirectional treadmill in which you would consider it a smart treadmill in which it figures out the muscles in your soles or your feet and notices that you want to turn right. And so the treadmill turns with you and then starts to roll as, as you walk or even run. And whatever you do on that treadmill replicates into the metaverse. Like your avatar runs if you're running on this treadmill. If you turn left, the, the treadmill will turn left and your avatar will turn left. There was one time where the guy actually buys a suit in which it's, ac it's actually connected to the treadmill. And when he flies, the harness picks him up and he's he goes ahead and flies, a, you know, in real life and, and he tries to navigate or whatever. Do you see this omnidirectional treadmill becoming a reality in the future? Already is. So they already have, uh, there's multiple types of omnidirectional treadmills. Uh, there are some that are, they look exactly like a treadmill. Uh, so as you walk on it, it moves underneath you um, and it can go in, in multiple directions. Then the other type that exists, um, it almost looks like a smooth plastic, like a satellite dish. And you, know, you, you go on this barefoot or like in socks or something, I think. And basically, the, it detects the friction, just like your touchpad basically does on your computer. It, uh, it detects your kind of feet moving on, again, this kind of conical uh, uh, touchpad, and that will actually move you in your physical environment. So stuff like that exists. 
Um, even as far as the, you know, there was, I remember in the movie, there was a, a moment where the kid ends up getting, um, it's like the, the, the latest and greatest suit so he can feel what's, you know, what's happening in, in the. Yeah, that's uh, what I was referring to. So, so that too also exists. Uh, I think it's super pricey and very limited, much like the treadmill is right now. Um, but I was reading an article about someone had created this thing that replicates touch. Um, and I think that's, again, it's a beginning. This is like, I have not used it, so I can't say about its efficacy, but I'm guessing it's probably pretty cool. I mean, I remember thinking a rumble pack on my Nintendo 64 controller was like life-changing. Um, and that became the standard for every single, um, you know, uh, whatchamacallit, every single controller moving forward where you had a little bit of vibration in your hand when something was happening. It's basically the same thing, only at scale. Um, so I think the one I saw was literally just a chess piece. So I think maybe if you're in a fighting game or something, it's kind of like, uh, it's not going to knock you out, but it's going to, you know, you'll feel like, you know, pressure on your body very similarly. And if that's where we are right now with no metaverse, with limited, uh, VR adoption and all that, if this is the path we're heading on, technology will always rise to meet that it will get faster. It'll get smaller. It'll get better. It'll get cheaper for for the larger groups to be able to purchase it so absolutely i can see people again maybe even you know the way we have a, a work from home office these days where you know five years ago that you know many people didn't maybe there's a dedicated metaverse room in your household um and and kids are you know instead of fighting over the sink for when it's time to brush your teeth uh maybe kids are fighting over no you know tommy's been in the metaverse for three hours it's my turn uh, so it's, yeah, it's, again, it's a very uncharted territory, but absolutely. I can see, I can see pretty much anything, uh, being in that eventuality. All right. So I did a few Google searches while you were explaining it. And yeah, I have actually seen this type of machine before. So let me try to describe it as best I can to the audience where you're actually on something that is holding you by your waist. You're kind of almost sitting on it and your legs are dangling but your, your feet are actually putting some pressure on the mat below you. And the thing that you're sitting on is actually able to turn kind of like almost a chair, a swerving chair. And so as you walk or run, the mat is feeling that pressure. You're not actually moving. And the mat is, is picking up your, your speed, your, your touch of your feet, and you would theoretically, or it's actually happening, like you said, are walking in the metaverse. And yes, I am on eBay and it says, well, I'm seeing it. It's $3,000. 3,000. That's a lot. Going back to NFTs. It's, uh, you know, what is something worth? And, you know, maybe you or I might say 3,000 is a bit steep for something like that. Uh, but I'm sure there's a market for it, which is why it's being made. And again, over time, I know that they're going to get more accessible, just like the headsets did. Again, in, in a short amount of time, uh, we went from roughly $1,000 to $300. That's about a third of the price, less than a third of the price. I can see the same thing happening. So maybe that's still $1,000, but you know, give it even longer. Uh, I'm sure the price will drop even more. Angela, let me ask you some personal questions. Have you entered the metaverse in any way, shape, or form? Through the Facebook offerings via Oculus, uh, I, I have jumped into that space. I've also, again, used Second Life, and I forget a couple others from around that time of the of the world, uh, you know, mid two thousands or something like that. Um, and yeah, it was. I mean, it was interesting. I think I think people need to tamper expectations. I, it, it, you're not going to put on a headset and immediately it's Ready, ready Player One, um, especially not in the first uh, in the first version of it. Because uh, again, you have to think about, I don't know what year uh, Ready Player One takes place in, but uh, we're not at that level. I think conceptually we are, but it's kind of like conceptually, you know, wh where was the internet when dial-up was invented versus where we are today? Um, you know, where was the automobile when it was invented versus where we are today, air travel, what have you? So. I think the, the framework will be very similar. I think you will have, again, social engagements, games, uh, shared entertainment watching, all that sort of stuff. But as far as that, like, you know, infinite world and, you know, free guy kind of life or whatever it is, 
you know, that's going to take some time to get to that level for everyone. Um, Cause the other thing is this, again, if I, if, you know, if I jumped into that Facebook uh, equivalent right now, uh, I had that $3,000 treadmill. I had the latest and greatest headset. Uh, I had that, you know, uh, chess piece that makes me feel things like I'd get a little bit further than the average person, but I probably would have spent like 10, 15 grand on it uh, in the process, not including the cost of a computer that would have, you know, would have to be able to probably run that because you're not talking a standalone headset at that point. So there's, there's going to be a little bit of a, of an equity issue, I think too. And I think that'll be another interesting factor as well. Cause that's, you know, you think about like a, a console, like a PlayStation or an Xbox, uh, the great thing about all of them is that they're equal. So if you're playing on your computer or I'm sorry, you're playing on your Xbox and I'm playing my Xbox. That's it. It's a, it's a one-to-one. Um, when you start dealing with the aftermarket pieces and all this other stuff, well, then it might create a little bit more of a power imbalance. And again, if you're talking about people spending literally hundreds of thousands of dollars in real estate, it might end up pricing out the average person, which in turn will end up killing the metaverse. So uh, this is where this is where companies are going to have to be really delicate. And again, I uh, just looking at, at at Facebook slash Meta slash Oculus's current model of trying to make things more accessible, to make things cheaper. I think they're smart. Um, they were also smart. I recently read that they've since spun off their Oculus group to kind of no longer have to interact with their Facebook group. Uh, and when I'm saying Facebook, I mean the Facebook app group. Uh, so that might help alleviate the associated privacy concerns. And if they're able to alleviate those privacy concerns and make things uh, relatively inexpensive, uh, inexpensive and accessible, I think that could be the winning combination. But only time will tell. Andrew, last question on this subject, and and I am going to leave it. Um, I mean, I'm going to leave the episode with with a question of hope, uh, mm-hmm. because we know that because of the pandemic and because of any future instances in which families are apart, whether it's because let's say somebody's away at college or somebody has a job to do overseas, uh, families are, I don't want to say torn apart, but that find themselves apart many times. And so I pose this question to you, let's say, let's say husband and wife and wife has to go work in Europe for whatever reason for three months and husband has to stay in the, in the United States for work as well. And so they're very long distance, three months apart. She has the treadmill. She has the suit. She has the Oculus. He has the exact same thing. He has the treadmill, the suit, the Oculus, and they both enter the metaverse and they're both in the same room and they're both having a conversation and they can actually hug each other. Uh, do you see that as something that can actually happen? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and again, if, we, if we're talking about things that get more transportable, uh, it might be the same as remembering to bring your cell phone charger that you remember to bring your whatever the metaverse access point is for you, whatever, you know, VR headset uh, every time you're, you're traveling. Um, I remember <laughs> there was a very interesting slash odd um, uh, invention several years ago, which was it was to replicate a kiss. And it was this thing where you would kiss it and then someone else would get the receiving end of it and it would be as if you would kiss them. And somehow it was unique to your kiss. It wasn't just, oh, it made a you know forward motion with some random piece of rubber. Um, so I can see there even being long distance slash um, unknown intimacy components to, uh, to all this. But that'll be an interesting thing as well. Um, I think censorship in the metaverse is going to be a whole other uh, space that's, that's super wild. Uh, again, I know from, from, from the Facebook slash meta perspective in their, in their equivalents or, or their current alphas, betas, what have you, that is a, a part of it. They don't want you, you know, being potty mouthed and running around. Uh, you know, this will be uh, uh, an area that potentially could be censored into oblivion. Uh, but again, it gives the opportunity for, for people to make connections, to stay uh, that much more connected with the people they love, with their, you know, significant others traveling around the world, their, their children off to college, grandparents in different countries. Um, there's a lot of promise. And again, I go back to just what we've done with social media. There's been some highs, some lows. I'm a thousand percent certain we'll see the same with whatever the metaverse ends up being. 
Um, but you know, I, I still approach it the same way I do with every day, uh, which is with cautious optimism. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping that we see something great from it. I'm hoping we get that ready player one experience someday, at least before I die. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's a, a very exciting time for all this amazing technology to be just surging around us. It's a, it's a new day for sure. My prediction that is that by 2030, you are going to be able to put on a headset, be on that treadmill and relive Endgame, And you're literally in the movie. Not so. And, and not even that you are going to get to play a character in that movie. And, and if you're Thor, you're going to hold the hammer. If you want to be the bad guy and be Thanos, you will be that and, and have that strength for it. And so by 2030, I do see this happening because just 20 years ago, Facebook didn't exist. Google didn't exist. TikTok didn't exist, right? Twitter didn't exist. And so it, if you look back 20 years and then you look forward 20 years, we're, we're just going to rev this up. And so that's why I wanted to touch base, base with you to see where exactly we're heading. So Andrew, I thank you so much for coming onto my podcast. Any last words or any piece, last pieces of advice as, as, as the audience looks towards the future? Sure. Uh, first off, thank you so much for having me again. It's, a, it's always a pleasure to speak with you, sir. Um, and as far as uh, the audience and just uh, you know, what's ahead, just keep an eye towards the future. Um, try, try your best not to be scared by it. Uh, there's a lot of crazy acronyms and new words that have, that have arisen in a relatively short period of time. Um, but there's a lot of exciting stuff right behind it. There's a lot of uh, opportunities that come along with it. Uh, and it's kind of yours to explore and experience. So, so broaden your horizons and, and buckle up. Andrew, remind us again, where to find you. If you want to find more information from you, if, if, if a company wants you to speak for them, where can people find you? Sure. I'm always on Twitter, so you can reach out. My handle is Andrew underscore Cassidy. Uh, I'm fairly easy to find on LinkedIn. Just look for my name again, Andrew Cassidy. And if you're looking for any sort of professional services, we're at CassidyConsulting.com. Thank you, Andrew. The title of this episode is The Metaverse, NFTs, and the Future of Social Media and Technology with Andrew Cassidy. And that will do it for the Life Teacher Podcast. Thank you for listening.